You are listening to Seniors Junction Podcast. We are preventing seniors' isolation, one conversation at a time. Your hosts today, Navrata Bagaria and myself, Paul Murphy, we're the co-founders of Seniors Junction. Our very special guests today, Savvy Duffy and John Johnson, authors of the new book, Elder Abuse, You Have a Role to Play. Welcome, both of you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. Could you tell us a little bit about yourselves and what you do? Well, I'm the, the senior one, as may be apparent <laughs> from your camera. I'm a, I'm a retired lawyer, 74 years of age, so I'm a baby boomer. And uh, I used to practice law for 42 years in the same law firm in the city of Ottawa. And uh, I did a lot of work in the field of estates, but I also... Uh, uh, was on a number of charitable enterprises. One was the Council on Aging of Ottawa, and the other one was Elder Abuse Prevention Ontario. And uh, when I retired from that, all of it, I said I had to have something to do. So I started writing this book and then COVID came, which gave me an excellent opportunity to do absolutely nothing. And so I had the spare time to start it. And then I realized I, I, there was parts of it I would never be able to do so. I called my friend Sabby and uh, she's, um, she used to article for me. And that's how uh, we got together again, because she knows about the parts that relate to her uh, past, which she can now tell you about. Yeah. So, so yes, so, so yes, as John said, I, I, um, I articled with John a long time ago, right? And I wasn't a bad article student. No, you weren't a bad article student. <laughs> and so, but I decided um, instead of practicing law, I have a really strong passion for the older person. So my family and I, we built our first retirement home in Ottawa back in 1998, and then our second one in Brockville. Um, and during my time as the owner, um, and the manager of the retirement home, I was exposed to a lot of issues concerning, uh, concerning the older person. And then coupled with my legal training, it was just perfect because, you know, uh, and we approached um, caring for the older person as a natural, uh, it was just a natural process. It was very positive. And one of the things that I learned, and this was a lesson that I learned from my residents, was that being socially active and being socially connected was very, very key in maintaining a healthy and happy life because it's about the quality of life. And then um, I left the industry back in 2016. And I was just trying to look for my own bearings again. And I really missed the industry dramatically. And then John and I reconnected and, and, you know, we ended up writing this book, Elder Abuse, you have a role to play. All of us have a role to play. So that's me. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thank you for the introduction. And we've been fortunate to know you guys over the past few months. So it's been a lovely introduction. So uh, John and Sabi, in your work, um, you've mentioned activity. So you must have come across social isolation. And so what are the pain points and, you know, what have been your learnings on this topic? Okay, um, I'll go ahead and start on this. One of the, I, I really want to make a very, very clear statement, a very strong statement. And that is that there is a strong relationship between social isolation and elder abuse. It's really important to, un, to understand that. 
many people will say, well, why? What, what, how could that possibly be? We've got to look at the impact of being socially isolated. What happens when you are socially isolated? Is that not many things. Number one, you're not looking after yourself. You're becoming more vulnerable. And you're also on your own. If you are subject to elder abuse, who are you going to talk to? Who are you going to report it to? So that's why addressing social isolation is very key because if we don't, then we're gonna end up creating an even bigger beast, which is elder abuse. Um, so for elder abuse, the key is this, we only need to break the cycle by adding one individual to connect with the older person, just one. Social isolation is no longer social isolation when you have one extra person at the table or in the room. Um, and in our book, like the elder abuse, you have a role to play. We, we relied heavily on the study, the National Initiative for the Care for the Elderly in 2015. And it showed that 8.25% of older Canadians over the age of 55 have been exposed to some form of abuse or mistreatment. And this number is growing. So if we address and can prevent social isolation, we're moving in the right direction. And also we are really addressing elder abuse. We're actually preventing elder abuse. Right, John? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, the other um, thing that we thought maybe that uh, th this was an, an isolated incident, it's been going on a long time. This, this social isolation has been there like a kindred spirit with the uh, elder abuse for as long as elder abuse has existed. And um, they're, um, the future is not looking brighter. Uh, the United Nations predicts that the number of persons aged 80 or older is projected to triple from 143 million in 2019, mm -hmm. 426 million in 2050, and 61.5% of those will be women. So the problem doesn't get smaller, it gets bigger. So the attack on, on this uh, has to get bigger. And we, if we don't address social isolation, we're, the elder abuse is just going to spawn publicly in, in all its mm -hmm. awful forms because in our experience, single older women are more victimized by psychological and physical abuse. And uh, the, um, they're more likely to reach out, women are more likely to reach out for support because they're, naturally more social. I don't know if that's true on a straightforward individual basis, but my own sense of having reached this age tells me that women are the social yeah. factors of our society. So we can learn a lot from, uh, from their example, but getting uh, men to follow um, is a, a greater challenge. And so we need to um, reach out to both genders uh, to, uh, to learn and to teach and to uh, establish models for uh, setting up a way for men, especially to be comfortable doing this and for women to embrace the, uh, the, uh, uh, the fear of elder abuse in, in a certain way uh, so that when they um, see it, 
they can learn to protect themselves. Yeah. The, um, so the, uh, it's, it's not expected that they do it alone. And part of our project is to uh, enable people to understand what has to be done when you see something happening that you don't like, something unusual in your life, something has changed. So um, we um, have been uh, reaching out. In the case of men, um, they became a bigger challenge. I, I know when I was with the Council on Aging, they wanted to have a men's club. I said, well, how many have you got? And they said, three. And I said, well, that's not much of a club. Come back and see me when you have 33. Because mm -hmm. uh, I was the president then, and um, I, I moved on. I didn't see what happened to them. But um, when I came, uh, finished up with the, uh, the Elder Abuse Prevention Bureau, the, um, and I came back, these guys were still here. But now they are 45. Mm -hmm. And I was invited to. Um, to do a meeting and I thought, well, this is good. I'll see what's going on there. And uh, it was, mm -hmm. it was good. And I'm, they've invited me to join and I gave them a speech about social isolation. And uh, I was amazed how receptive they were. And I said, this is the way it's supposed to work. And uh, so that was good. What so was the name of that group? The, men, the Men's Shed. Yeah, so Doug Mackey set that up. In okay. Winnipeg, and he mm -hmm. won some sort of left in yes. the governor's yes. award. And so I know it's a good thing. The idea is good and, and it attracts people. And I sat down for breakfast with a 90 year old guy who used to work on Dominion Bridge and another guy who was an engineer and uh, a fellow who was a photographer. And they were all in their 80s. So I was the youngest guy at the table. Mm -hmm. and, and I said, well, this is going to be good. So I'm going to go for breakfast with them next That's week. Awesome. That's and, and, awesome. And like, like in Doug Mackey, the rationale for him setting up that, for his setting up his, his group, and it's all nationwide now, was, was really to address social isolation and depression and loneliness. Mm -hmm. Especially, with, you know, yeah. with, you know, like with the gentleman. It, it, it's funny where life takes you, but it's my intention to mm -hmm. help these guys along and stimulate them a little more by going around and visiting the other men's sheds, if they'll let me, and uh, helping them with some of the ideas that I have about social isolation for men, because it absolutely is the solution to, uh, to elder abuse. Mm -hmm. Paul? Well, thank you. Um, You've already in large part answered this question, but is there anything you want to add about your vision for tackling the problem of social isolation? You can go first. I think, um, like, I think Paul, one of the, the key things is, is that social isolation, we have to start seeing social isolation not as a problem. We've got to see it as a challenge. We are already here. We know it exists. And so if we see it as a challenge, then we're going to be more proactive. And that is the key. So I'm going to just share, for example, um, like my work in, in the retirement home setting. Um, I had amazing staff. And one of the key staff were my activity, were, were my activity people. And, and when we had our group meetings, just to go through like our residents' concerns and things like that, it was amazing how social activation could help in terms of the physical well-being 
of an older individual. We could get them going out and exercising by making activations fun. You know, go around in a circle, you know, and um, see what we can do. Lifting your arms up here and there, doing it to music. Wow. Before you know it, over, an, over a period of three or four months, that older individual was able to do things on their own. So social activation is really important in terms of promoting independence. It's important in promoting choice. Um, so I think that if we look at it as more of a challenge than as a problem, we are going to open up our minds and be more proactive and think of creative ways of addressing social isolation. And it's not just for us to find the answers, it's for the older person. That's why, for example, in our book, we talked about you have a role to play. Everyone has a role to play, including the older person. Now, I, before, before I give it back to John, I, there, there's one thing I wanna talk about. In our book, we talked about um, the Harvard study on, on the element of happiness. So I'm just gonna just quickly just, re, just read you a statement. Um, it says that your social relationships are important to you. They are even more important when you are an older person. A study conducted by Harvard University on what constitutes happiness is a strong voice that specifies that happiness is not based on what wealth or status you carry, but on the quality of your social relationships. The studies show that looking at a person's quality of social relationships will provide strong indicators of how well they age. As we age, our social relationships become more and more important to us. Those who have very little social connection and are isolated or at greater risk of elder abuse. Now, um, we had the privilege of, uh, like at the retirement, we did, we did palliative work as well. And sometimes the greatest wisdom that we got from our older individuals, and this is a statement actually I share with my children on a regular basis. In life is who you are surrounded with. We always concentrate on the what. What are we doing now? What, where, why? Concert on the who, you'll be amazed what that's going to open up. You know, it's, uh, it's you say this, I, if you read my emails, one of the signatures in my email is your network is your net worth. So yeah. I agree with I what like you're saying. You know, it's uh, because when you come, like I came as a first generation Canadian, I didn't know anybody. And I, in four years, I have a company on this topic. I couldn't make a company out of myself, right? You have to have network and connections and quality connections. And of course, having lived isolation myself in the beginning few, and it's periodical if you're living in Ottawa, it's, it's the city is isolating by design. Um, mm -hmm. But all of us have lived positive 30 years in Ottawa. We all can agree there is a certain kind of uh, characteristic to the city, but we all have coping mechanisms or, or things we have to be proactive, like have hobbies, have, have many, many sets of friends because, you know. So I think what you're saying, for me, what I've realized is uh, when you are isolated or you have a few friends, the amount of trust you have and the vulnerability and the amount that you can be taken advantage of is higher versus if you have a diversified portfolio of social network Mm -hmm. um, it also also your own growth as a person because the emotional maturity cannot come um, you know with two or three people you need a lot because there's a lot to go to a human being so I think what you're saying 
all those networks and connections make sense because even though we age, even though we may have one kind of wisdom, the vulnerability never goes away, right? You're always vulnerable at a different age because maybe at this age, I'm vulnerable for certain kinds of abuse. As I get older, there's a different kind of abuse. The, the risk is always there. You know, we, we all individuals. And these are skills which we can learn lifelong. You don't have to become an older person and then develop these skills. If you're in my age bracket, it's horrible communication skills. Like millennials are horrible in talking. They text, they ghost you, right? So it's, it's, it's a generation of no to miscommunication. Now imagine this generation aging. And using the wisdom you shared, I don't even know, like, and the cyberbullying, like, not, that's one form of abuse, which is not yet seen. And like, there is a scamming that you see now. But by the time my generation comes in that age bracket, I cannot even imagine the kind of virtual reality based abuse that you might see or the manipulations that you might see. So it's so important what you're saying. For me, it's, it's just like pearls of wisdom, you know, to keep it keep it because you can't build a safe society or a connected society without the individual doing all that like without you me john uh, all of us doing this individually at our own levels and then translating as a culture in our organizations or through our books as educations and training you know uh, Namrata, I really want to congratulate you for the statement that you've just made because social isolation is not just an older person's issue. No, it's everybody. It's everyone. So, so um, unfortunately, we live in a society where we do have a lot of ageism mm -hmm. and, and older individuals, many people think, oh, they are subject to a lot of social isolation, but they have some good social networks as well. But we have social isolation even in younger individuals. It's even more. It's even I more. find our interns are more isolated than us and they are in their teens. They can't even make a sentence. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's it's tragic. So now that when they're working with us, we are really stretching out their communication skills. And sometimes it's hard for them, but you know, it's just communication which is so hard for them, forget coordinating anything. So imagine that, for example, you said your interns are at that stage. Imagine how they are going to be when they're later in life. We don't want to imagine, that's the thing, it's too scary. It's so, so, scary. so that's so, one of the reasons why both John and I uh, are saying that we've got to address social isolation right now, because we work in the sphere of the older individuals and we're seeing the problems that are going to happen. Yeah, and They're it's not just happening. ageism. There are many isms, right? There's racism, there's sexism. There's so many isms that happen parallelly in a society. Mm -hmm. And as an individual, we have to navigate our own isms. Mm -hmm. It's not that everything was on a platter for me when I came here, nor for you, Sabi. I know you're like me, first generation Canadian. And, and, and so a lot of the times you have to work with your challenges. All of us have a set of challenges. And exactly, I look at my isms as a challenge and not as a problem or a, it's, it's something you have to go, go through. There is no way out. You can't correct hundred individuals and then say, then I will correct myself. It doesn't work like that, you know? So mm -hmm. I feel very strongly about what you said. I could have been isolated, but it's my choice. Many people who do PhD in their own intellectual vanity are isolated. You know, mm -hmm. I'm a PhD candidate and Paul's a professor. He knows how much isolation and burnouts and then entrepreneurs. I'm an entrepreneur. 
a PhD and I'm a newcomer, all the, all, every reason to be isolated and burnt out, but I'm not because I put that effort, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not, it's not on a platter. You have many friends who will say, you oh, know, I can't meet you today. Then you meet another friend. If you can't meet them, then you go out by yourself for a movie or a, go to the gym or something. You have to do activities because that's where you're going to find that a channelizing your negative energy or your energy just to recycle that energy. And that's where you're going to probably see someone and smile. Because post pandemic, we've been cooped up so inside. Now people are so scared to readjust to being social again. That's another issue you're seeing. Yes, yeah. We felt isolated and now anxious to be social. That's another social anxiety. You know? It's um, uh, I it's interesting. I had a conversation yesterday with um, some business colleagues, and um, I we run our business our retirement home, and it was just us. And um, so looking at a different project and the gentleman asked me, so why don't you want to do it on your own? And I said, I don't ever want to be in that position again. I want to work in a collaboration in a team because it's just going to make it more easier. It's going to make it more fun. There's going to be more than one brain trying to tackle a a problem. Um, So so even on a CEO level and entrepreneur oh, yeah. level, the level of social isolation is very, is very, very, very high. But the more we talk about it and address it, the more we're going to find solutions to it. Would you say that too, John? Yeah, I, I know that standing a little farther down the road as a baby boomer, I, I look around and I look at I have this imagining that all the baby boomers turned 65 and they walked across the line and you had to see where, the, where if it, how many knew where they were going and how many didn't. Mm-hmm. And the ones who did, didn't, uh, should be talking to the ones who did. Yes. And so that we can go forward together and I would be happy to help them. And that's the way I drew up my uh, retirement. I just said, they're not as lucky as I've been. I, I notice that now. And uh, I, we've got to do something to make them come out because they, they've got to feel good about themselves. They've got to uh, feel that they're part of society. They're not being held back by finances. So mm-hmm. we have to provide something that uh, is easy for them to do. I, I don't have any problems like that. So I just said, what's your other problem? He said, well, no one ever comes to the door. I said, well, you want me to call you? And I will. And these are just classmates I know, and I feel sorry that they can't reach out and uh, call on the telephone. But the, uh, so I started making a regular practice of it. And uh, I haven't had anyone say yet, you again? <laughs> so I'm, uh, I know I'm on the right track. And if I say, you were a millennial, maybe they would have said that, but since you're a boomer, <laughs> you're fine. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I am. I'm going to start with the baby boomers because they're my buds, uh, male and female, mm-hmm. and I, I need to take them forward to, to get them through this patch because there's more coming. There, there, there are tons more elder people coming after me, but I'm not likely to be there to help them. So if we get this gang, uh, this is a fantasy of mine. If we get this gang of baby boomers mm-hmm. who think they know everything and do everything. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe the others will start believing us. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. But the, um, it, it's true. But as you, as I found them getting older, I, I, um, uh, I also noticed that um, 
you have to, it's a, it's a more holistic approach, even on a telephone call, because I always want to make sure they're healthy when I call. And, um, and, and I don't feed them or anything like that unless we want to go out for lunch. But the, the uh, and I'm not looking after them like they're all crippled or anything. It's just me that's got the sore feet and the backache. <laughs> so we, we, we do those things, but I think we share those thoughts. Not too much, I hope. Um, the, uh, we look on the bright side. And, yeah. if, and if you get a phone call you weren't expecting, oh, how are you? How's it going? No, but you know, sometimes you have to be holding their hand too because someone has died. I've lost half my classmates. Yeah, they're all they're all gone, and so we meet regularly. Yeah, there's a there's a fine line between looking out and looking after, and I think this is that yeah. bridge between looking out and looking after. Paul, yeah. don't you have similar experiences of reaching out? I do. I do. It's very similar. Yeah. Resonates with me, John. Yeah. Mm -hmm. hey, we're all part of the same group. Yeah. Uh, the, um, uh, it, it just makes sense that we feel the same way. We grew up with the same kind of parents who came back from the war and, and society had changed. Women were working. And so your mom was gone all day working mm -hmm. and your dad was in the job that government saved for him coming back from the war. Everything was the same. And then, then they move forward and see where we end up. And the guys that cross the fish and finishing line first help the others. That's the way I look at it. And that's why I'm still doing this. <laughs> that's awesome. So uh, what, were, what are the challenges and opportunities that you see in the vision that you have? Hmm. That's a really, they can, that's a really good question. I think, um, in terms of addressing social isolation, in terms of, is that what you mean? Yeah, both isolation and elder abuse. That's because your vision is within elder abuse, you know, yes. how do you tackle that? We talked earlier today about term ageism and we talked about different generations. I, we, both John and I feel very strongly that one of the ways of, of addressing um, elder abuse and social isolation is really looking at it from an intergenerational perspective. Intergeneration is really, really, really important. So if we go back, for example, you know, you've got a young teenager at home who's busy, headphones in, just looking at their, you know, at their screen and that's it. Mom and dad are just, you know, all stressed because they're the caregiver for the young one and then they've got their older parent that they're looking after. But everyone's just busy doing stuff, but they're not really talking. They're not really connecting. I think it's very important to understand the importance of intergenerational living and intergenerational communication. Um, it's important for um, like, you know, the grandparents to spend time with the younger population. It's important for the parents that are, that are what we call the sandwich generation to take time out. You're the sandwich generation, we understand that. That's the situation that, that you're in, but take time out and be present with your, with your children. Take time out and be present with your parents. Take time out and be present you know, as, you know, as a unit in your own time. Because if you don't look after yourself and don't nurture yourself, you can't look after anyone else. 
So that's really important. Um, education is really key for us. I think education is really, really key. Uh, education, both John and I feel that it starts, like, you know, we've got to start with the younger population. Um, we, we've also got to educate the older individuals too, to let them know that they've got a role to play in how they live their lives. Um, we've also got um, to educate professionals. There's, you know, we've got doctors, dentists, the bank, all those individuals, they interact with the older individuals. Imagine this, um, they could have, um, an older individual goes into the bank, just having a five minute conversation, or even not even that, just smiling saying, how are you? That, you, you're already addressing social isolation because you're having a conversation. Thank you. you know, so there's 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 a lot, and then I think John, we talked a lot about protection for whistleblowers too, right? Yes. Yeah, we talked well, a lot about that. Well, the Retirement Home Act has been amended, so mandatory reporting must take place in cases of abuse. Mm -hmm. The long-term care people have always had that. So the idea in the, in that uh, situation is that if you have uh, if you see somebody in the home that is being treated badly, whether, I mean, you could just be one of the, the residents, you need to report it because that reporting stimulates the system. And we, at once, we're very good at fixing things after, the, after they're broken. Um, and that's one of the problems with the situation today. And one of the ones I wanted to overcome because I have this little phrase I use, early recognition means early resolution. Mm -hmm. but the, um, the, when when um, that system is pushed into place, they make a lot of uh, noise about it. You remember maybe some of the, the uh, reports in the newspaper about somebody witnessing on a camera a beating of an old man. Well, I, I, I would probably suggest that there's somebody being beaten without a camera. So what do you do? There's, there's lots more of those. We need to improve that kind of thing so that people who are there are protected. Because once you enter into the, the system, the social workers are quite skilled at dealing with them. And the, and the homes are too. Lawyers, um, I wish I could say they're all um, uh, in tune with the, the idea. Some of them just want to get the wills done and the powers of attorney done. But why are you giving it to someone who wouldn't normally be in that position? And who are you taking instructions from? Mm -hmm. So we're, uh, we need to re-educate and remind that our duty is to the client um, and that not to the kid they brought in off the street to, so he can borrow money to buy a new bicycle shop or something. And, but the uh, doctors too have a role in this. Everybody's got a job and they just, uh, I, my, I like to be noisy about it because I want to make sure people are doing their job. So I've been busy doing that. But the doctors, when they see someone who's come in with a few bruises, and burnt or, or, or broken nose or something. Mm -hmm. that, that doesn't come from banging your head into the fridge. Uh, they don't, they, they look for the easy explanation because the patient who comes in doesn't want any controversy and doesn't want to tell you about it because they're embarrassed that it's their family, it's almost always family uh, that has done this to them. So they, um, 
it's very important for doctors to take their responsibility seriously and not let someone else pick it up because he's got to now fill in some papers. So he pretends it doesn't exist. Um, and so, but doctors are starting to embrace this because it's more work actually after the fact if they don't do it. Um, and, and, and the person to go to the, visit their doctor, the individual, uh, has to be on, on, on guard to disclose, even if the doctor's not asking. Mm -hmm. But one of the problems is there's always someone being dragged along with the person. Oh, he's here, he's here to drive me uh, home. Well, why is he sitting on beside the bed in your, in your examination room, uh, giving all the answers? You can talk. And the doctors have made inroads in this. I have to give them credit for that. But if they're too busy to notice, or if they accept the explanations out of hand without sticking, pulling back the curtain a little bit, that's how we get lost. We, we have to be, it's not like we're always vigilant, you know, like there's some, something bad around the corner, but these things jump out at you because they're not part of your normal life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's really what it is. If you live in the house all by yourself, you're you're all paid up, you uh, um, look after your yard and everything like that. What's that kid doing out in the yard who's living with you now? And why is he driving your car? You know, so it's important to, um, there's a job for the, uh, the people who are subject to abuse um, and vulnerable to it. The single most vulnerable person in the family array is a spinster aunt an elderly woman who has lots of money and a house and a car and visible wealth and they live by themselves and they don't go out. They don't feel they have to or they don't. I don't know what, but I, if, if everybody in the family could adopt one of those relatives and just drop in every now and then with a package of muffins from Timmy's I varied my speech now. It was just a, a freshly baked package of muffins. No one bakes them anymore. They stop at Tim Hortons. But the, um, the idea is to make sure you have a reason to be there. But reach out. It's, it doesn't cost anything to, to be part of someone else's life. And if they really don't want it, they're going to tell you. And, and you have to respect that. But uh, um, it, it's just important that if everybody has a role and you, and you can enlighten them what that role might be, um, then we can all do the job without the help of lawyers and courts and all the rest of this stuff. And you can get it done before the money's gone or the person is seriously injured. Because like, like Paul and Namrita, one of the key things is, is with elder abuse, it's very, it's, it's underreported. People don't report it. 91% of the cases is in the family setting. Yes. So that's one of the reasons why John and I wrote the book and we stress very clearly that everyone has a role to play. Um, so, so if you are socially isolated, you're not going to report it. The, the abuse is just going to continue. It's just going to be a spiral. So from our perspective, and we're very grateful to be on this podcast, the message that we really want to send out is that to, you know, elder abuse can be addressed by addressing social isolation. 
they can't exist in the same place. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, what we've been um, thinking about is, is the elder abuse. There's a dyad and it's a conversation between victim and abused person or an abuser. And as long as that's the only conversation going on, the abuse continues. But the minute you introduce a new person, any person, you don't require a team of police or anything like that, but any person, the person bearing the muffins, as soon as you introduce that person to the conversation for 15 minutes, the person delivering the muffins will be able to see around you what's going on and what needs to be repaired. And, and they can just walk away and go and report it. The, uh, but the, uh, you need to break the conversation up from the those two the the victim and the abuser because as soon as that's broken up physically usually um, if it's the cops uh, they just ask the person to leave they said you want him to go yes i do i want him to go well he's going you pack up and go and get in the squad car because this is the uh, this is what has to happen mm -hmm. but as soon as the conversation is done but lots of times It'll be a, a couple of an uncles will drop in on their sister and they'll say, what's going on here? And, uh, and the sister won't say, but she's embarrassed, etc. But they say, well, okay, but that doesn't explain you. Um, and uh, the, the, the family will have an intervention. You don't have to have a, a police squad, although I did have to once, but the, um, uh, you don't have to because it's, as soon as the person who's abusing has had their conversation broken and they're not going to have control anymore, they go. It, it, I mean, it, it, I never knew that until I practiced law that uh, I saw these things happening and I, I was called upon occasionally to do them. But the, um, uh, and I said, that was easy, you know, <laughs> he's gone. Everybody happy now? Okay, good. <laughs> so, uh, that's 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 what I wrote about those stories. There, the they're, they're just to attract attention. They're real stories, mm -hmm. uh, but they are there to attract attention. About these are the things that can happen. But if you come to them early and you report them to somebody, anybody who wants to help you deal with it, you can solve the problem because that those persons will disappear. They will. They they just. It, it, they're not. They're not made to rank, rob banks or steal or do any of those things. They're just lazy or unsuccessful people. You know. They're taking advantage of older individuals. Yeah, exactly. This must be easy, mm -hmm. and often yeah. it is. Thank you. And what advice would you have for a company like ours? Keep up that what you're doing because social isolation is absolutely crucial i listened to several of you yeah, in fact have. i i don't miss your podcast i hate oh, thank to, you that i'm <laughs> such a fan but it, it's so straightforward what you do and uh, i think as long as you get the message out um uh, about these things people people will buy i've never had somebody say oh i could never do that they can and you have to empower them to do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that's what we see our job is largely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've had the privilege of listening to your podcast and you've had some great individuals that have shared stories and talked about how to get involved in activities, what to do. 
what John and I are, uh, are going a little deeper and saying why. We're talking about the why today, why we need to be more socially um, active. Now, there is a difference between being alone and being lonely. We, we really want to stress that term, the independence and the value of an individual is very important. So their alone time is valuable and that's theirs. There's not, that's nothing wrong with that. that. They're actually being socially active, you know, you know, with themselves. They've been, you know, enjoying maybe a movie or whatever, a long time. That's something that we need to value. But we are talking about social isolation. We're talking about loneliness. Um, and that we don't, we as human beings don't need to put ourselves in that position. Life is a beautiful journey. It's meant to be enjoyed. Loneliness is an ugly, ugly cloud that you do not want over you. And one way to address it is, and we need podcasts like yours, which talk about social isolations and the impacts of it. We need podcasts like yours, which talks about how to be socially active. We need to hear individuals that talk about the benefit of individuals that are active and getting involved and enjoying life. So I think really I, I echo John's uh, message, just continue with what you guys are doing. It's excellent work. And it's been a yeah. privilege for both of us to be able to talk about the why, why you yeah. need to be socially active. We're, we know we're not intellectuals. We just know what we see and what we hear. Well, John, you are. You're real. 42 years as a lawyer. Anyone to the Supreme Court of Canada, I disagree with that statement. <laughs> <laughs> I think there are multiple intelligences. I, I value different yeah. kinds of intelligence. The, the, um, the, yes, and I really enjoyed that fellow from Tennessee, uh, the professor down south. You had him on recently, I think. Okay. And I said, this problem is universal. It's everywhere. It's universal. And the solutions are everywhere, too. And he was a very wise old dude. Yeah, he, I, he I like practiced for 50 years in social isolation. And so he started in the 70s. Yeah. Uh, he's in, uh, I think, North Carolina. Do you, you know, no, so where is it, Paul Duke? My geography is really poor. You're on mute, Paul. So. Um, Yes, Duke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, perfect. Uh, so uh, if people want to find your book, how can they find your book and uh, about you? It's, uh, it's um, at Amazon. Uh, it's, um, this is what it looks like. If, if you just go to Amazon. John, can you get it in the center of the camera so people can see it? Perfect. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Yes, um, got it. It's, I'm going to take a picture now. <laughs> I got it. I got it. Yes, so I can put it when I when we when we post it. Yeah. So you write you just email Amazon.ca, make the usual kind of word you would for soap or whatever, and um, ask for this book and the and the title. It, it's the best selling uh, book on the subject of elder abuse in Canada. That's so, awesome. Congratulations. You know that's. It's an ugly, ugly subject. It's an ugly subject. But people are curious. And uh, well, we have to be, right? Just because something is not comfortable doesn't mean that you don't talk about yeah. it. Yeah. But I don't want you to think of us as hawking books everywhere we go. This is really just our platform to yeah, get people's is, attention. Yeah, this is really a passion of love for both of us. Oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for Thank this you. recording.
Okay. Thank, well, you. thank you for having us. Thank, thank you. you.